My name is Michael Albritton. Um, been, my wife and I have been members of Grace City, served here uh, for six or seven years. I've got three kids, 20, 19, and 16. So our kids have been up through the youth group. Um, we've, uh, I've served as an elder from 2018 to 2022. Uh, I've been very thankful to be a part of uh, to what God is doing here at Grace City. Believe in what God is doing here at Grace City. From the start with the sermon, uh, I want the church to know that I believe the passage that we're looking at today uh, is very timely. I think God's timing is perfect. Um, we've been looking uh, in Acts at this series called Church on the Move. And God used Nathan last year to bring us to Acts and redirected us this year to Acts. Uh, Seth went through that last week, got us to Acts chapter 13. And so that lands us in Acts chapter 14 today. And I believe the timing is good. Throughout all of Acts, there's been one consistent, impacting factor on the church, and it's conflict. Through every page of Acts, we see the church facing conflict. We see people facing conflict. And I believe that Acts chapter 14 today, it gives us two truths that will help us be able to know how to respond, navigate, cope, however you want to say that, to conflict whether that's at church, whether that's at work, whether that's in our personal lives, whether that's even with ourselves in our relationship with God. So if you turn with me to Acts chapter 14, I'm going to read the first couple of verses there, verses 1 through 7. Acts chapter 14. Now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews, they being Paul and Barnabas and disciples, and they so spoke that a great multitude of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Therefore they, the disciples, stayed a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, bearing witness to the word of his grace, and the Lord granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided. Some were with the Jews and some were with the apostles. And then a violent attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews to abuse and stone them. The Lord made them aware of it, and they fled to, to Lustra, to Derbe, and Laconia, and to the surrounding region. And they continued preaching the gospel there. In Acts chapter 14, we see this idea in this repentance repeated concept of an occurrence of conflict. We tend to think as Christians that we should be uh, protected from conflict. We, we want God to protect us from it, to guide us away from it. We want the old saying to be that happiness is the absence of conflict, which is not what it says. But we recognize that conflict is a part of life. It's a part of the journey. Jesus himself said that in this world, we will have trouble. The majority of our troubles will be with people. And in this passage, we see that the disciples are struggling with conflict with people. In verse 2, the unbelieving Jews, they stirred up others. It says they poisoned their mind. It was the idea of inciting against the disciples. It was the, the unbelievers trying to oppress, to harm, to inflict all over Acts, we have examples of believers having conflict with unbelievers. 
Acts chapter 14 alone, we're going to see Paul and Barnabas. They're, they're mobbed by a large group of people. Paul himself is stoned, even thought to be left for dead. In almost every chapter of Acts, we see Jews and Greeks resisting the work of God and resisting the gospel. Stephen is stoned. Peter and John are thrown in prison multiple times. Paul himself was terrorizing the church. But conflict was not just outside the church, but it also was inside the church as we read Acts. Acts is full of conflict with the disciples having uh, full of conflict with them struggling with each other. Acts chapter 10, Peter's in conflict with himself and with God as God tells him to eat what is unclean. It goes against his tradition. It goes against his beliefs. He's struggling with himself. Peter was also married. And I'm sure I can imagine as a husband that if I were to go to my wife and say, hey, I'm going to follow this guy and quit my job and leave unexpectedly and be gone for weeks at a time, I'm sure there's going to be conflict. And Peter knew this and he experienced this. Because later on in 1 Peter, we see that Peter writes, Husbands, live with your wives with understanding. Do not be angry with them. Don't be bitter with them. Peter had learned, even in his own marriage, that there was going to be conflict. Acts chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas, best friends, friends for 15 years. Barnabas discipling Paul, teaching him about the faith. We see that they have a fight over John Mark. And it becomes so sharp and so contentious the word says that they decided to go separate ways they split the dynamic duo the incredible evangelistic duo were split because of conflict acts chapter 15 also has the church of jerusalem and there are as greeks are getting saved there were jewish believers who said hey they need to become more jewish they need to get circumcised and this, was, this created conflict in the church. There was a great dispute. There are words used in all of these passages that say things like dispute, dissension, contention, and that it was much, that it was great. And throughout most of the Bible, we see people in conflict with themselves and with God and with others. In fact, pretty much all, the, all chapters of the Bible except for Genesis 1 and 2 in Revelation 21 and 22, we can find people in conflict with themselves. There's conflict we see in families, in marriages, even in nations. The reality is that conflict is something that we will experience every day. It's a regular part of life. It's inconvenient. It's uncomfortable. It's tedious. It's painful. It's even gut-wrenching. And yet yeah, Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble but he also said, I have overcome the world. God has been and will continue to grow and work in believers and in the church, helping us navigate and know how to cope with conflict. The quote actually says, happiness is not the absence of conflict, but the ability to cope with it. So how do we cope with it? We acknowledge that it's there. So how do we cope with it? First, uh, chapter 14, I think, gives us two truths that will encourage us today and personally and collectively to know how to navigate conflict. The first truth is this. God is always active in conflict. 
In verse, um, th- verse 1, we see that a great multitude of believers, a great multitude of people were becoming believers. In verse 3, there were signs and wonders being done by the hands of the disciples. There were miracles. Last week in chapter 13, Seth talked about how the Gentiles heard and they were glad and they glorified the Lord. And many believed. It also talks about as the disciples and Paul and Barnabas, as they were coming to Iconium, it says that they were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 14 sits right in the middle of the book. And everything before it, Paul and Peter is kind of the center of all of the action. And everything after it, Paul is kind of the center of the action. And around both of those, we can see how God was at work. There was Pentecost where 3,000 people got saved. The church was growing in numbers and the church was growing in unity in those early chapters. Peter himself is growing in his faith. He's growing in his ability to preach. He's growing in his responsibility. He's growing in the way that God is working in him and through him. And even the church itself was growing. After the stoning of Stephen, the, the, the church was scattered, and God used that to take the gospel, to beginning to take it to the ends of the earth. But we can even look forward to 14 through 28 As Paul is growing in his faith, as he's traveling all over Europe, he's planting churches. And the writings of Paul and Peter, James and John and others, as they are writing to each other, those get written down, those get preserved, and they end up with us today. God was at work. And on every page of Acts, and in fact, on every page of Scripture, including Genesis 1 and 2, and including Revelation 21 22, God is at work. He is active. It is the major theme of Acts. It is the major theme of the Bible. In the midst of conflict, we can be encouraged that God will be at work. He is at work in us. He's at work in the circumstances. He's at work in people. Even the people we feel like is against us. In your life, please remember the moments and the seasons when you knew God was at work. You saw him. In our church, we can look back at the seasons where, in the times where we know that God, we can put markers and know that God was here at work. God was at work in college students. And he is at work in college students. He's been at work in young couples, and he continues to be. He's been at work at fam- been at work in families, and in the youth group. He's been at work in the community outside of these walls. We can look at Grace City and see all along the way how God has been at work. Ecclesiastes three eleven says this: God has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also put eternity in our hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. God is at work for sure. We can't always see how it starts, and we can't always see how it ends. In fact, most of the times, we're not going to see the whole picture. But for us today, we can be encouraged to know and trust that God is at work. Even when we can't see the end of the conflict, we know that God is there. And even when we don't know why the conflict started, we can trust and know that, the, that God allowed that to begin for a purpose. And even when conflict is messy and it's painful, we can know that God is active to make everything beautiful in the right time. I need to know that God is active. I need to know that he loves me. 
I need to know that he hasn't forgotten about me. I need to know that he's with me. And knowing that God is active is what gives me hope. It becomes the anchor for my faith. Even when conflict escalates, even when it gets bigger than me, I can have hope and I can trust and it grounds me and it anchors me to know that God is at work. There's also another truth. So truth number one, God is that God is active in conflict. Truth number two, believers continue in conflict with grace and truth. In verse three, it says, therefore they, Paul and Barnabas, stayed there a long time. It says they stayed. It says in the face of conflict, they didn't run away. They didn't hide. They didn't avoid it. They didn't pretend that it wasn't there. They didn't turtle together and say, oh, poor me, I'm the victim. No, those are human reactions. Those are the way we naturally want to respond to conflict. That's how Adam and Eve responded to conflict. They were afraid and they hid themselves. They blamed each other. No, it says that they stayed, they remained. It even has the connotation that they stayed there rubbing, uh, rubbing away. And they stayed there a long time, time enough that was sufficient. It was enough time. Staying is what develops spiritual endurance for us. You guys may remember the couch to 5K and getting off the couch and trying to run a 5K and getting started is the hardest part. And over time, I'm told, I haven't done it. I'm told that running gets easier and that some people actually enjoy it, which I don't understand. But it creates endurance for us. As we seek to continue in the midst of conflict, it creates and develops in us spiritual endurance. Later on in chapter 14, we see this repeated in verse 22. When Paul and Barnabas have gone through several areas and they've been mobbed and they've been stoned and they're circling back through these same areas. It says that they were strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying that we must go through many trials before entering the kingdom of God. They continued in their faith. And down in verse 27, It says, now, when they had come together with the church, they gathered together in Antioch, all that God had been doing and had done to open the doors of faith to the Gentiles. In verse 28, it says, they stayed there a long time. They continued, they pressed on. Now, this kind of reminds me a little bit of Thanksgiving. Um, I don't know when you have Thanksgiving dinners and everybody's had the lunch and everybody uh, is kind of having that after lunch turkey coma that we tend to get in after Thanksgiving. And there's always seems to be kind of a lull and we really don't know what to focus on. What do we do? Conversations have died off. And so some people focus on the football game and some people go take a nap. In this passage, yes, the disciples were, were pressing on. They were continuing. But what did they focus on? What is it that they could focus their mind and hearts on? Well, they focused on two things. It says that they stayed there a long time, and first, they spoke boldly. They spoke, they were speaking boldly. This implies that they were speaking freely. They were speaking with courage, with honesty. They were speaking truthfully. They were saying what needed to be said. They were willing to have the hard conversations. 
And it was something that they were doing continuously. They were speaking. It was an ongoing action. It was a conversation. It was a back and forth. They continued to have courage. They continued to be honest. They continued to be truthful. But they didn't use their boldness to harm others. Because it says they were speaking boldly about something. And that something was they were bearing witness to the grace of God. They were bearing witness to the grace that they had experienced. They were showing and affirming the evidence of God's grace in their life that they had experienced. And they were communicating this to others. Their words were intended to point others towards the truth and towards the grace of Jesus and towards the grace of the gospel that people can be redeemed, can be forgiven, and can be reconciled. They reached out in courage and in truth to remind them and to remind us today of God's grace, of his merciful kindness, that with Jesus there is grace upon grace, that Jesus said he will never leave us nor forsake us, and that he will be with us to the end. And that is true first and foremost for each and every one of us personally. If you're here today and you don't have the peace and security of that, that is available. But it also is available to us as a church that he will walk with us. And he will be with us. In conflict, we press toward what is true and we press toward what is gracious. And that's hard in conflict, trying to strike the balance between grace and truth. But I'm thankful that Jesus was the embodiment of that. John chapter 1, it says, In all his fullness we have received through Jesus grace upon grace. And grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. He exemplified it. He embodied it. In situations with people, he was able to, to, he was able to balance both of those. With some people, he, was, he needed to speak truth, but he did it graciously. And there were other times when he showed grace with people, but he didn't shy away from the truth. And in our own lives in our, and with ourselves first, we have to balance that. We can't just live our lives in grace and ignore the truth about what God may be saying to us. We also can't live so much by truth that we don't give grace to ourselves. And the same is true for our relationships, whether it's a spouse or a sibling or a parent or a friend. And then when we go to work, we work with people. And those people aren't our friends or our family. So we need more truth. We need more grace. And even when we come to church, we have to be able to balance and move forward with both of those. Relationships are a two-way street, too. There are days when I'm going to speak grace and truth, and there are other days when I'm going to need to receive grace and truth. In relationships with my wife and a marriage, I don't always bring 100% to the table. So she doesn't always bring 100%. There are days when I bring 30%. And if she just nailed me with grace, I'd be a short marriage, wouldn't it? But we need grace and truth. We need to give it, and we need to be able to receive it. Now, I wish I could tell you how the situation worked out, that it got better for them, right? That, they, that the disciples pressed on, they continued, they were speaking truth, courageously and showing grace to other people and as a result God fixed their situation well not immediately anyway it says the multitude of the city was divided 
It says there was a violent attempt made by Jews and Greeks to abuse and stone them. Wow, that escalated quickly. We went from arguments to division to abuse to almost death. That escalated really quickly. But what happened in the escalation? Even when the conflict escalated, we see that one, God was active. It says that the disciples, that Paul and Barnabas became aware of it. Even in the midst of conflict that is escalating, God was active to make a way for Paul and Barnabas. And it also says that they made a way for them to go preach the gospel. It happened to be somewhere else in this circumstance. But they allowed them to continue on. God was active and they continued on in grace and truth. No matter where we are in conflict within ourselves and our lives, we can trust and know that God is active. And that our path forward to focus is grace and truth. Arthur Aaron did a study back in the late 90s. And you probably never heard of his study, but you've probably heard about the results. Uh, if you've ever seen something that says fall in love in 90 minutes, maybe you've seen it in online quizzes or magazine at the grocery store. But his experiment and his research was the basis for that. And his theory and his thought was that people get to know each other and they fall in love over the normal course of time. But he wanted to see if he could fabricate that. And so he came up with 36 questions and got hundreds of people. He put men and women in a room together, one at, you know, two, two at a time or one at a time, a couple. And he gave them 36 questions. Told them to go through all 36 questions. And what he found was pretty amazing that after 90 minutes, most of the couples came out and said they felt a love connection. Could have been a game show. They felt a bond with people. Interesting, though, is that over time, as those couples left the experiment, that less than half of those, or most of them went out on a first date. Less than half went on a second date. Less than half went on a third date. Very few went on a fourth date. And by the fifth date, none of them were in a long-term relationship. Regardless of how they made a connection to fall in love, he concluded that, that there was something else needed to maintain long-term relationships. So what he was saying was that if we're going to stay and continue in long-term relationships, there has to be something else. And then I believe this passage tells us that as believers, we have to be anchored in the hope that God is at work. And that as we live out our actions and our words with each other, we have to do it with grace and with truth. Grace family, please be encouraged that God is at work from beginning to end. And please continue to courageously allow grace and truth to guide every word and every action. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are with us today. I thank you, God, that conflict is nothing new to you. That Jesus, you said that we, in this world we would have trouble. And the conflict that you faced and you experienced is far greater than anything we experience in our lives. Jesus, you overcame death. You overcame the suffering. You overcame the temptation. You overcame the abuse of other people. You overcame 
harsh words, accusations. And Lord, you came through that with grace and with truth. And so God, I pray for us today. I pray that individually that we would look to you, that we would remember the ways you've been active in our lives. I pray that we would remember the ways you've been active in our church. And I pray that we would look to you to guide us The Holy Spirit, you would give us grace for ourselves and for others and that you would lead us to the truth in all circumstances. Give us the eyes and ears to see and to listen and give us the courage to have the hard conversations. Help us, Lord, to be able to find you in the midst of any conflict we have, whether here or in our personal lives. We love you and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.